the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. knows everything and so God is able to pull together 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. The record keeping with the dispersion among the Jews because of the Babylonian invasion, uh, the Assyrians before that and of course the Holocaust under Nazi Germany, the kind of record keeping and what tribal delineation is basically unknown by Jews today but not unknown to God and he will assemble the 144,000 If you remember, the Apostle John has given many visions concerning what will happen in the future, what will happen to mankind and the earth. As Pastor Gary has been teaching us, there's this worsening progression of God's anger is poured out. One vision that John has is that of heaven where there are a multitude of believers with palm branches and wearing white robes. They're sitting near the throne, scattered from all ends of the world. Jesus gathered these 144,000 to serve Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Mr. Rogers had this uncanny way of just explaining things in pure and simple language so little kids could understand. So sometimes when I read this passage here, I feel like Mr. Rogers because he's like, all right, boys and girls, let's see if we can understand who exactly the 144,000 were. In case there's any confusion right here, look at what Jesus does for us. Verse 5, of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, do I need to read the voice that way the whole time? Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. What's 12 times 12,000, boys and girls? 144,000. Now, what we have here, it's, John spells it out for us in verse 4. These are 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And just to make sure we know, boys and girls, who they are, he spells it out for us. 
12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. These are Jews. These are not Jehovah's Witnesses. There should be no discrepancy here. Now, just to summarize then for you note takers, who exactly are the 144,000? Well, it tells us in verse 3 that they are sealed on their foreheads. It tells us also in verse 3 that they are servants of God. And it tells us in verse 4 that they are from all the tribes of Israel. And then there's a list for us. So, specifically, here's who they are. They are Jewish believers who have been redeemed from the earth. That's a phrase we find in chapter 14, verse 3. In other words, they've been saved during the tribulation and protected from it. That's what the seal will protect them. The seal is a marking from God that gives them some kind of supernatural protection so that they're not harmed during the tribulation period. And then they are sent as witnesses to unbelievers on the earth. And so God uses them as evangelists to help bring the good news of the gospel to people who are on the earth. So among Jews who are living during that tribulation period, God will providentially select 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, mark them with a seal. They become believers in, in Jesus, in Yeshua, as Messiah, and then God uses them for his purposes as evangelists in the earth. You know, it's a remarkable thing. There are, in my various trips to Israel, you know, I've met a lot of wonderful Jewish people and also met a lot of wonderful Jewish people here in the States. But specifically, I'm thinking of some individuals in Israel who they have the knowledge, but they have not made the the leap of faith, which is what, you know, it takes faith to accept and believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins and that he is Messiah. And there's a place where I always take our groups, if you've been with me, to a little shop in old Jerusalem, Shorashim, and it's run by two Jewish Orthodox guys who are twin brothers, Moshe and Dove. And they have wonderful conversations with the groups I always bring into their shop. And they're, they're very um, respectable. And I always tell our groups, you know, respect them as well. And we go in, we just have a wonderful dialogue. They don't believe that Jesus is a Messiah, but they talk about Jesus. They understand. They've read their New Testaments. In fact, uh, Moshe one time said to me when you know, I asked him privately, like, you know, what is your feeling about Jesus? Like, what do you think about Jesus? He says, Jesus, I don't have a problem with, even though he doesn't believe he's Messiah. He says, it's Paul I don't like. He said, Paul was a traitor in your New Testaments. Paul I have a problem with. Jesus I don't have a problem with. He just doesn't believe that he's Messiah. But I think of guys like Moshe and Dove. And if they're still around during the time when the church has already been raptured and then a tribulation comes, those are going to be two guys who will, who will become believers in Jesus. Because they, they already have all of the dots, they just haven't connected them. And I don't say that disparagingly. I respect them. They're very intelligent men. They, they know Scripture. But You know, we can have a lot of head knowledge, and somebody once said, but the greatest distance is the 18 inches between our head and our heart. And and sometimes connecting the head with the heart is, is a hard thing for people, and that applies to any of us. And so there will be Jews living during that time, and many of them will come to faith in Jesus. And among those who come to faith in Jesus... Uh, the Lord will select and mark 144,000. Now, it's interesting, again, this is a little bit out of chronology. When we get to Revelation chapter 11, there is the revelation of two witnesses. And, and I'll talk about who I think those two witnesses are, but those also are Jews. And it's interesting, there could be a, a sequence of events whereby in chapter 11 of Revelation, these two witnesses appear, and part of their purpose is evangelism. 
And it's likely that from those two witnesses, the 144,000 Jews come to faith in Jesus, uh, Yeshua as Mashiach, as Messiah. And then out of those 144,000, what we're going to read here in a minute is a great multitude of people who come to faith. So again, this is God's mercy in the midst of his wrath. Because here in chapter 7, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but the second vision that John has is of a great multitude of believers around the throne who are there because they were martyred during the tribulation period. So there will be thousands and thousands of people who will get saved during the tribulation. It will be God's mercy in the midst of his wrath, and the 144,000 have a role in that. And so he lists these. Now, For those of you who really love to dig out nuances of Scripture, you'll notice in the list of the 12 tribes of Israel, I'll just draw your attention in verse 7 to the tribe of Levi. Now, it's unusual for Levi to be listed. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, the 12 tribes of Israel came from the 12 sons of Jacob. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? Abraham's grandson was Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and those sons end up making up the nation of Israel in its infancy. And so those 12 sons and their descendants became known as 12 tribes. Now, one of the sons was Levi, but typically Levi was left off of the list because Levi became, his descendants became the priests, And the priests had their own inheritance by God, and they were typically not listed, but Levi is listed here. Now, Levi is listed, but I'll tell you who's not, in case you didn't already figure it out. Dan is missing here. Dan is missing from this list. Now, why is Dan missing? Again, this is great debate. I'm going to give you my two cents for what it's worth. Some believe, and this is my personal belief, but Again, you can differ with this. Some believe that the Antichrist will come from the tribe of Dan. And the reference point for that is when Jacob, in his old age, was blessing each of his 12 sons before he died, he prophesied over each of them. And the list of the prophecy of Jacob towards his sons is listed in Genesis chapter 49. Now, one of the beautiful prophecies was when he got to his son Judah, because over Judah in Genesis 49 verse 10, Jacob says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Now, remember, who was a descendant of the tribe of Judah? Jesus, right? So this prophecy that Jacob gave to Judah about the scepter never departing from his line was a messianic prophecy that eventually coming from the tribe of Judah will be Messiah and Jesus is the descendant of the tribe of Judah. But so that's a one, you know, if you're Judah, you'd be like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Thanks, dad. Yo, you know, Uh, but if you're Dan, you're not as happy because when Jacob comes to Dan in Genesis 49, verse 17, he says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way. A viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. Can you imagine Dan like, wow, dad, you know, thanks a lot. Cheered up my day. But it's likely that that is a prophecy related to the fact that Antichrist will come from the tribe of Dan. I do personally believe the Antichrist will be Jewish. 
There's a lot of debate about that. Some people think he's going to be Catholic, that he's going to be the Pope. You know, there's a lot of speculation. Maybe he'll be Muslim. And, uh, but I think when you look at Scripture, I will make an argument that he is Jewish and that he likely comes from the tribe of Dan. So some believe that the reason why Dan is missing here from chapter 7 is because the Antichrist comes from the tribe of Dan. The good news is, though, that when you get to Ezekiel chapter 48, which is a prophetic chapter about the Messianic kingdom, about the thousand-year millennial reign, Dan is reinserted back into the list. And so it's not like God has, has discarded Dan or the tribe of Dan. It's an unknown reason why he's missing from here, but that's probably the best guess is that maybe Antichrist comes from Dan, and so he's missing off the list. I want to also point out in the tribal list here that Joseph is mentioned in verse 8, and that's unusual too, because Joseph got a double blessing. Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And usually in the list of the 12 tribes of Israel, you have Levi removed because his inheritance, the priestly inheritance is from the Lord. And you have Joseph removed because Joseph gets a double portion of blessing. And Joseph's two sons are inserted, Manasseh and Ephraim, in the place of, of Dan and Joseph. And so what you find is Manasseh's mentioned in verse 6, but Ephraim is not mentioned. Joseph is mentioned here. And again, we don't know the reason why that is. Some believe there's another reason why Dan and Ephraim might be missing from the list. When you look at Israel in its worst days of idolatry, you have Dan, the tribe of Dan to the north were engaged in idols and they even had a false temple up there. And then you had down close to Jerusalem in the northern kingdom, you had another shrine in Bethel, which was in the territory of Ephraim. And so some say those two idolatrous tribes are not represented here, but they come back in Ezekiel chapter 48, in regards to the millennial kingdom. So God is not done with them. Another question I often get about this list is, when people read this, is how, do, how does, there aren't today delineations among the Jewish people as to which tribe they belong to. Unless you are today Jewish and your last name is either Levi or Levi, that's probably an indication that you're of the tribe of Levite. Or if your last name is Cohen, Cohen means priest in Hebrew, and so you're probably of the tribe of Levi also. Other than that, Jews today don't really know their tribal inheritance. And so the answer to that simply is, but God hasn't forgotten. I mean, God knows everything, and so God is able to pull together 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. The record-keeping with the dispersion among the Jews because of the Babylonian invasion, uh, the Assyrians before that, and of course the Holocaust under Nazi Germany, the kind of record-keeping and what tribal delineation is basically unknown by Jews today, but not unknown to God, and he will assemble the 144,000 out of the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, let's move on to verse 9. He says, and after these things, here's the second vision, I looked... And behold, a great multitude, which no one could number. That's how numerous it is. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Okay, now notice this. You have Jewish believers in the first part of chapter 7, and now you're basically going to have Gentile believers. And the rest of chapter 7 here involves mostly Gentiles who come to faith in Jesus because they are representative of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb, notice they're clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. Remember the last time you read in your New Testament about people with palm branches in their hands? It was on Palm Sunday, right? It's John chapter 12, verse 13. It's the only other reference in all of the New Testament about people with palm branches in their hands. John 12, 13. When people were hailing Jesus as Messiah, when he was coming in on Palm Sunday to Jerusalem, they were waving palm branches. It's a sign of victory. It's a sign of redemption. It's a sign of worship. They're worshiping their king. And so now you have it here among this great multitude of people, palm branches in their hands, they're wearing white robes. And verse 10, and they're crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And verse 11 says, and all the angels, and we don't know how many that is in heaven, but all of them stood around the throne, multiple tens of thousands, no doubt. And the elders, the 24 elders, mentioned earlier in Revelation, representing the church, and the four living creatures, those are these angelic beings around the throne, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. So I want you to see this heavenly scene. You know, this is one of the beauties about the Bible because it's pulling back the curtain of heaven. It's giving us a glimpse into heaven. John is seeing this incredible scene of all the angels and those who are dressed in white with their palm branches and also the elders representing the church and the four living creatures. And they're all, they fell on their faces before the throne and they worship God. You know, we kind of say in jest, I don't think it's that funny, but when people go around saying, you know, when I get up to heaven, I'm going to ask the big guy this question and that question and this other question. Like, you know what? You're not going to ask the big guy any questions because you're going to be flat on your face if you end up getting there, you know, when people, when people talk like that, I sometimes wonder, like, do you even know Jesus? But anyway, we're not going to be going with our list of questions, folks. We're going to be flat on our face, feeling undone in the presence of the Lord. And we're going to be worshiping him. And this is what they said. They start with amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And you can say that last one, amen and amen. And so there's going to be this wonderful scene of just worship before the Lord. And verse 13, then one of the elders answered, saying to me, now this is funny, I think, because John didn't have a question here, but this one unnamed elder, okay, knows, John, you're freaking out here right now. And you have no idea who all these people dressed in white with palm branches are. And so one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. Isn't that funny? Listen, read your Bibles, a little sense of humor. This is, have you ever been in one of those situations where you did not know the answer to the question you were being asked and you just kind of go, uh, you know, you, you know, well, you know, you know, right? You know. You know, you know the thing, right? You know, you know that, right? We are all created in, by our in, unalienable, you know the thing, you know. And so that's how it works. That's how that works, right? And so John, John is just like, I, I, you know, sir, you know, to answer this question. And so he's going to answer it for him. And so he said to me, well, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood 
of the lamb. Now, isn't that interesting? You would think that if your robes are washed in the blood of the lamb, they would be red, but no. This is, and this is an image here and a picture of the righteousness, you see, that is appropriated unto us because of what the lamb Jesus has done for us by dying on a cross. And so this elder is saying to John, here's who these people are. These are the ones who were killed. They were martyred during the tribulation period. They were saved during the tribulation period and martyred for their faith. They're also mentioned back in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. I want to point out to you that in verse 14, where it talks about they, they washed their robes, the word robes in the Greek is stolas. We get our English word stole. A stole is a long garment. And they were made white in the blood of the Lamb. The word white in the Greek is Lucano from the Greek root word leukos, meaning light. So this is not just the color of white garments. They actually glow as like illuminating light. This is like, this is just an amazing thing to think that the white robes is not just a description of the color of fabric. This is actually leukinos. They are illuminating. They are glowing. This is just the glory of the Lord spilling over onto the very garments that they've been given as an expression of the righteousness that has been appropriated to them because of what Jesus the Lamb has done. And so verse 15, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. So the the saints who are martyred during the tribulation, this is their description. They will serve the Lord. Those of us who precede them, who get raptured, the Bible says we return with the Lord and we rule and reign with Him. But these particular saints are commissioned to serve the Lord day and night in His temple, and He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Verse 16, and they shall neither hunger any more, nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the lamb who was in, just speaks of comfort there, doesn't it? For the lamb who was in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen and amen to that. What a beautiful way that chapter 7 ends to remind us, again, in the midst of wrath is God's mercy, that in the midst of all this calamity coming upon the earth, God is at work raising up 144,000 believers who will share the gospel with others such that an innumerable amount of people from every language, nation, tribe, culture, they have the opportunity to get saved. They're seen here in heaven around the throne, worshiping God with the other angels and the comfort of the Lord to just minister them and love them and wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, Paul said, I consider my present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that awaits me in Christ Jesus. There will be times of tears in this lifetime. There will be times of suffering and heartache. But remember that heaven awaits us. And in heaven, there is no more crying There is no more pain. The old order of things has been replaced by a whole new order. And so we will have tribulation in this lifetime. We will have suffering on this planet. But this isn't heaven. And so we have to hold on to the hope of heaven and the promise of Scripture and words like I just quoted from the Apostle Paul to remind us that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. One day... 
when we're in his presence and he wipes away every tear and he comforts every broken heart, we'll stand there amazed, grateful, and realize that was hard what I had to go through. But this far outweighs all of that. Amen. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Revelation again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary through his Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. It's a great way to have a quiet time anytime. You'll find a link on our website, along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. So send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. Prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Put a marker where we left off in this final book of the Bible and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time for more, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.